Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Exodus chapter 3, it's page 46 in your black Bibles, large print 55. You'll see that we're really focusing on verses 10 to 22, but I love this passage so much. We're going to read the whole of Exodus 3 together, and then straight after our Bible reading, we'll take up our gifts and our offering uh, just right away as we come to the end of the reading. But let's hear God's word together. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold... The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise 
that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Amen. Please have Exodus chapter 3 open in front of you. And as you have that, I wonder what you think of this sentence. God is in the habit of disrupting lives to save and to send. Not my own words. I'm not sure where I got them from. Somebody else said, God is in the habit of disrupting lives to save and to send. Came across that this week. It's a good way of expressing what Exodus chapter 3 is all about. God is in the habit of disrupting lives to save his people and to send his people. Because friends, here in Exodus chapter 3, one life is totally upended and turned on its head forever. Moses' life. God is going to send Moses to save his people. I wonder if you know that when this chapter happens, Exodus 3, in Moses' life, he is 80 years old at this moment. 80. I mean, think about it. I, I'm just over halfway there to 80. Some of you are close to that. Some of you passed it, maybe. Can you, can you fathom it? The, the disruption of the arrival of your life's major work at 80. It's not what 80-year-olds typically expect, is it? It's an amazing disruption into this man's life. The first two chapters of Exodus cover hundreds and hundreds of years. And yet now chapter 3 to the very end of the book covers one year. Oh, how deep God's work in somebody's life. I wonder if there's a lesson there for us. In fact, I know there's something there for us right at the heart of our passage. See, right at the heart of this passage, in this amazing story, there are two questions that we need to hear. And we're going to linger this evening. Really, we're going to linger in the answer to the second question. And in the answer to the second question, there's three more questions. But here are the two questions. You can see the first one there right in verse 11. Who am I? Question one, who am I? And question two, verse 13, who are you? Moses to, to God, who am I, Lord? Verse 13, Moses to God, who are you, God? 
Philip Ryken in his commentary on Exodus says, those are the two most fundamental questions anybody can ever ask. Who am I, Lord, before you? And who are you, Lord, to me? Question one, look at it with me. Who am I? Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Commentators are divided over whether that response to God, that question to God, is fear on Moses' part or faith on Moses' part. What do you think? Some people read verse 11 and think Moses is being humble. Uh, Lord, I'm unworthy for such a great task. Others think this is stubbornness, unwillingness to trust God's plan. No, 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 you can't send me. I'm not going, Lord. Not me, anyone but me. Now, either way, just pause and put yourself in Moses' shoes for a moment, or put yourself in his bare feet for a moment. What has just happened to Moses before we get to verse 11? Just think of everything that has happened. He has seen this great side, a bush burning but not being consumed. He, 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 he approaches the bush. Here I am. God speaks to him out of the bush. And verse 7, the Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry, and here I am. I have come down to deliver them. I have come down to deliver them. The cry of the people of Israel has come up to me. Look how amazing it all is. I am here, Moses. And then you get to verse 9. Come, I will send you. It is a stunning shock for Moses. After everything that God is beginning to show about himself, after everything that he has said he will do, Moses up to verse 9 is saying, I love this. This is amazing. You're going to do this. Hang on. Through me? No, no, no. I can remember many, many years ago, the minister of the church that I was a student in in Nottingham in England, Peter Lewis, Wonderful, wonderful Peter Lewis. And I'll always remember one Sunday morning, he said to the congregation, there's good news and there's even more good news. He said, we're going to appoint an assistant minister. And the even more good news is that in appointing him, we have all the money we need to appoint him. And I think maybe people clapped. This was a wonderful moment. The assistant minister had been long waited for, long prayed for. And Peter said, we found the man that we want. And in case you're wondering where the money is, it's in your pockets. And all you have to do is give it. 80-year-old Moses, good news, Moses, I'm coming to rescue you. All you need to do is go. You go to Pharaoh. Somebody said this, the old swagger or the bounce in Moses has gone. 80 years old, so much so that the man who had been the prince of Egypt is now only the shepherd of Midian. And he feels in no way capable of serving and leading a people, challenging the leader of the ancient world's greatest superpower. 
Moses, I will send you to Putin. I'll send you to the leader of Hamas, Hezbollah. I mean, that's what this is, right? We're so used to it. Yeah, Moses goes to Pharaoh. 80 years old to Pharaoh? I will send you to the Arca Indians in Ecuador. I will send you to plant a church, just you and your family and kids. You'll, you'll be the only people in it for several years. I will send you to lead a building project. I will send you to care for your wife or your husband with Alzheimer's, to be faithful unto death. I mean, where would you put yourself in all of that? How would you respond? To the God who is in the habit of disrupting lives to save and to send. Isn't that right? I thought of Moses here and I went back through the Bible. Is it not true? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. What did God do to each of them? but took them and turned their world and their lives upside down. Ruth, Hannah, David, Saul, Peter. Do you know how God works, friends? He he disrupts lives. He disrupts lives as He sends His people to do something that keeps them up all night, that, that, that almost seems to crush the life out of them, make them despairing. Oh, because the beauty is that God is always, always wanting to do something in us as well as through us. That Angela and I and our family, we've been reading a book on parenting, parenting teenagers. And it's a wonderful thing when you read this, uh, your, your spouse reads this book uh, before you get to it. And the book on parenting, Paul Tripp's book, it's going to be available in a couple of weeks in the bookstall we're going to do before Christmas. Paul Tripp says, if, you, if you're if you're parenting children, the first thing you need to know is you need to know how to parent yourself. And you need to know what your own idols are. You you will never parent properly, fully without knowing what your own idols are. It's an amazing thing when your spouse reads the book ahead of you and in bed at night says, I know what your idols are. Comfort and control. Isn't that true? Isn't that what parents, maybe you're different, one of you wants comfort, one of you wants control, and as we try to serve the people God has put in our lives, our own idols stand tall. God has a way of disrupting them, crushing them, exposing them. More than that, friends, look at verse 12, poor Moses. Moses answers back, of course, verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And then God says, verse 12, but I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you. And you think, well, okay, that's helpful. There's something to hold on to. This is the sign that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Do you see the, the strangeness of the sign? Moses, when you have done what I've told you to do, then you will serve me on this mountain. That's the sign. How do you know this will all be okay? Because when it's okay, you'll know it's okay. You're even going to have to trust me on the sign. So here is the really important question. Question two. Who am I that I should do this 
Lord. Verse 13, Moses said to God, not just who am I, but who are you? If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? That, that's what the question is. Who are you, God? Philip Ryken says, verse 13, and then verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Philip Ryken says, Moses probably spent the rest of his life trying to figure out exactly what those words meant. And Bible scholars have spent the last 3,000 years trying to figure out what those words mean, and they still don't agree. Because I am who I am raises more questions than it answers, doesn't it? I think it's most likely, you'll need to look at this carefully with me, I think it's most likely that the actual answer to Moses' question in verse 13, what is his name, the actual answer is the Lord. It's like God says in verse 15, isn't it? God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord has sent me. Chapter 15, after Moses leads the people through the Red Sea, the whole people are going to sing, chapter 15, verse 3, the Lord is his name. In Hebrew, Lord, capital letters in your Bible there printed in front of you, it consists of four letters, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. One of, one of our children actually gave it this morning, didn't they? One of the names of Jesus, Yahweh. But that's what his name is. But I am who I am is what his name means. And, and that's where I want us to go this evening. In the short time left, I, I want to give us three amazing things about the meaning of that divine name, and all three of them are, are, are mysterious. I, I am who I am. What does that mean? I think it means three mysteries. And I think that is the very essence of this, that God is mysterious. You know, you know if you want a relationship with someone, the first step is usually the exchanging of names, isn't it? It's usually what you do, unless, of course, you're male. Uh, we, we came back from a holiday in Portugal, and in the second week, the men in our family spent four nights in a row watching football with other men, and I couldn't tell you their names. The same men every night. We got to the end of the week, and nobody had thought to ask somebody else's name. Normally, you don't do that if you're a normal person. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, I know your name. And so then we get verse 13. You know my name, God, so what's your name? And in giving Moses a name that almost doesn't seem to make any sense, God is simply drawing the boundary line around himself as if to say, and the lesson from the burning bush is this, as if to say to Moses, as you get to know me, Moses, this far and no further. I, I, I have a name, Moses, but it is not like your name. This far and no further. This is as much as I can give you that you will understand. I am mysterious. 
You know, in the book of Job, after Job suffers, that whole amazing book, I take this to be the essence of the answer that God gives to Job at the very end of it all. After it all, after all your hurt, after all your suffering, Job, you're saying to me, you want me to explain it to you and to give you a reason for all of it. And I think God says this to Job at the end. He says to him, if I told you, you wouldn't even understand. If I told you, Job, you wouldn't understand. I mean, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? You're not built for it, Job. Who God is is a God of mystery to creatures like us in His very being. Friends, you and I can no more understand God and His ways than our dog could understand why we left her for two weeks when we went on holiday. I mean, we used human words. We told our dog we, we loved her. We told her we'd be, we'd be back. But could she really understand it? Three days in and she's with strangers wondering what, what on earth has happened. Now, that doesn't make us cruel, does it? It doesn't make us strange or heartless. No, in, in human world, what we're doing makes perfect sense. Moses is being introduced here, friend, friends, to the God who enters the human world to disrupt and to save and to send. And he does it because in the divine world it makes sense. And so, so he's putting mystery right at the heart of his people's relationship with him. Three mysterious things for us to see this evening. Number one, how can one so holy come so near? Number two, how can one so different be so personal? How can one so free be so bound? And if you're writing notes, each time you have one, I'm referring to God, capital O. How can one so holy come so near to us? How can one so different from us be so personal with us? How can one so free in himself be so bound to us? Friends, I, I, I want to give you one hour on each of them, okay? If the clocks went back last weekend, wasn't it? You know what the clocks going back means? It means you get to preach for an extra hour. But it was last Sunday, so you're off the hook. First mystery, how can one so holy come so near? There's a limit, isn't there, in getting, getting to know God. Look at verse 5. This amazing picture, the bush is not being burned. There is a voice, the angel of the Lord is there. There is a voice speaking. Then the Lord said, verse 5, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. There is a distance between God and Moses. And the distance between God and Moses is because of God's holiness. His absolute moral purity that burns like a fire. God is not safe. You do not idle up to him with hands in your pocket whistling and just say, how's it going? Listen to a man called A.W. Tozer, a man who, who reflected at length on God's holiness. He said this. He, he's written eloquently about it. Tozer says, I tell you this, 
I want God to be what God is, the impeccably holy, unapproachable, holy thing, the all-holy one. I want him to be and to remain the holy. I want his heaven to be holy. I want his throne to be holy. I don't want him to change or modify his requirements because of me. Even if it shuts me out, I want something holy left in the universe. I want something pure. Holiness is the burning beauty of God's perfection. That's why Tozer wants it, isn't it? We, we, we want beauty in the universe, don't we? We long for it. Every single time you're upset when something beautiful in your possession is ruined, it, it, it is the inbuilt longing for perfection. What, what do you like when something precious to you is tarnished? Little children playing in the garden with paintbrushes in a sand pit, painting the sand and putting water in it and all the rest of it. And then they see dad's new car over the fence and take the same paintbrushes with sand and paint the car. Your, your phone, hundreds of pounds, brand new, pristine, and it's dropped and the screen is cracked. The new carpet, the new clothes... This holiday that we've just come back from in Portugal, beautiful, pristine, white beaches. And to our horror and amazement, three days into the holiday, all the seaweed, it seems like all the seaweed in the entire ocean washed up onto the beach, four, five foot high, a wall of it, making the sea impossible to get into and seaweed for miles and miles. And the people who've paid for their holiday year after year, we've never seen anything like us. The beach is ruined. We want our beach back. The Garden of Eden in all its perfection and then entering the garden, there is a dragon spreading lies. There are two vandals on the loose graffitiing the landscape. See, Moses removes his sandals here, doesn't he? He's told to take off his sandals as a a mark of reverence, respect, awe. But it's also really because of dirt, isn't it? In this culture, you washed feet. It's the main place dirt accumulates. And God is saying to Moses, you cannot bring dirt in here. As you come close to me, you may not spoil this beautiful place. And so, friends, here's the mystery. How can one so holy yet come so near? Do you notice where, what Moses is told? He's not told, Moses, you cannot come near to this holy ground. Take off your feet and stay at a distance. No, he's on holy ground. Moses, the place where you are standing in all your filthiness is holy ground. How can it be that one so holy can come so near? I want to say to us, friends, this evening, I hope you know there is only one way, and it's here. It's because of what this table represents. Isn't it because the Lord Jesus Christ, the great I Am, gave Himself up as a sacrificial offering to turn aside God's anger at all our dirt? all our sin, all our rebellion. That there is only one way to come onto holy ground. Here's the second mystery. 
not just that one so holy should come so near, but that one so different should be so personal. See, the, the, the meaning of God's name, I am who I am, is so strange that like any preacher, God knows his people need an illustration, and the illustration of that name is the burning bush. It's a picture, a visual aid, in the same way that in a moment, bread and wine are pictures of who God is. The bush burning with fire, yet not being consumed by fire. Here's what Sinclair Ferguson says it means. It means this, the fire that was in the bush was not dependent on the bush for its energy to burn. It was a most pure fire, a fire that was nothing but fire, a fire that was not a compound of other energy sources, but had its energy source in itself. In itself. Isn't that amazing? I am who I am. Moses, I am self-existent. One so different from you and me. Now listen to this, Alexander McLaren. Often it's older, uh, previous generations that see things so much more deeply and clearly. Listen to this explanation of the burning bush. The fire that burns and that does not burn out. The fire that has no tendency to destruction in its very energy and that is not consumed by its own activity. That fire is surely a symbol of the one being, God's being whose being exists and derives its law from itself. The being who can only say, I am that I am. Okay, now here's, here's the beauty of the illustration. How different is that from you and me? McLaren says this, you and I have to say, I am that which I have become. Or I am that which I was born. Or I am that which circumstances have made me. He said, I am that I am. All other creatures are links. This is the staple from which they all hang. All other being is derived, and therefore it is limited and changeful. This being is underived, absolute, self-dependent, and therefore it is unalterable forevermore. Because you and I live, we die. In living, the process is going on of which death is the end, but God lives forevermore. Isn't that amazing? He does not need the bush to burn. He is a flame that does not burn out. Therefore, he is preaching to us that his resources are inexhaustible. His power is unwearied. He needs no rest for recuperation of wasted energy. His gifts that he gave diminish not the store which he has to bestow. He gives, and he is none the poorer. He works, and he is never weary. He operates unspent. He loves, and he loves forever. And through the ages, the fire burns on, unconsumed and undecayed. And what Moses learns, friends, is that that God, that God who is so different, who does he belong to? I want to give you four verses. Put your eyes on chapter 2, verse 24. Chapter 2, verse 24. 
Their cry for rescue for slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Friends, how can one so different from us yet know us? How can one so different be so personal? Look at chapter 3, verse 6. I am the God of self-existent eternity, the God of self-sufficiency. No, the, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Verse 15, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Verse 16, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Do you see it four times again and again? The Lord's name, friends, does not mean that he is distant from us. No, it means he is close to us, personal. The personal God of real people in real places, in real space-time history. See, Moses is saying, who am I, Lord? What does God say to him? You are the one I know by name. That's who you are. You're the one I know by name, Moses. And I know your family, Moses, and your fathers and their fathers before, before you. Friends, this evening, the one who knows you by name is not a creature like you. You are known by the eternal God of the universe who is unalterable forevermore. Who am I that I should be here this evening at this table? Who am I that I should be approaching a God of incandescent holiness? He is so different from me. And yet, do you know what the prophet Isaiah says? He knows me. Now thus says the Lord, I have called you by name. You are mine. I think I could do it with just about everybody in here. I would embarrass you and I'd leave somebody out. But I could go round, row by row, seat by seat. He knows your name. You're his. How can it be that one so holy can come so near? How can it be that one so different from us can be so personal? Number three, I'm nearly finished. Number three, how can it be that one so free should be so bound? One so free should be so bound. You see, God's name pictured in the burning bush, it means, doesn't it, doesn't it that he neither needs us or needs anything from us. He's independent of us. He exists from his eternally undiminishing fullness. Friends, if the world had never been, God would have been no poorer, no richer. There is nothing about the world that God is dependent on. There's nothing anybody has ever done that has ever given anything back to God. Friends, take the, take the richest person in the world, trillionaire, whatever the greatest of mind is, and he becomes a believer, becomes a Christian. He learns about generosity, and this trillionaire, zillionaire, whatever it is, says, I'm going to give nearly every penny I have, and he gives away millions and millions and millions. Every single ministry on the earth is blessed by his generosity. Do you remember the words I read at the start, Romans chapter 11? As 
the millionaire, trillionaire does that, what has he given to God? Nothing. Nothing. It's all his. We, we, we're like the little, the little girl who says to dad, can I buy mom something for her birthday? And dad takes five pounds out of his wallet and gives the child, mom and dad's own money for the child to give something back to mom. That's what we're like in God's world with all that he has given to us. He, he doesn't need us. He's not dependent on us. No one has ever done anything that twists God's arm. No one has ever done anything to make God react in ways that he didn't see coming or which he didn't want to do. He is completely, utterly, perfectly free. And so, friends, here is the mystery that one so free, the God of the burning bush, should be so bound that he should bind himself. Look, look at chapter 3, verse 17. Why is God doing all of this? Go and gather the elders of Israel together. Verse 16, say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you. Verse 17, and I promise, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction. Do you, do you know what makes promises beautiful? When they're free. When you haven't paid for them, or wrung them out of someone, or twisted them, or coerced, or manipulated, but when someone comes to you who does not need you, and does not have to love you, and promises to love you. Friends, here when someone who does not have to save you, promises to save you. Oh, the beauty. And the one who does not have to save you, but who promises to save you, is the one who needs nothing back from you once he has saved you. And the one who does all that, who is the greatest, most powerful, most beautiful being in the universe. Oh, there is no limit, friends, to the mystery of his love, the mystery of his grace. All you and I need to do this evening is do what Moses said. He got it right, didn't he, at the start of the passage. Here I am. Here I am. Can you say that to him this evening, friends, as we come to eat and drink, just to say to him, here, Lord, here I am. We're hungry, we're thirsty, but we're here. We're dirty people on holy ground. We're known by name to the God of mysterious name. We're held in covenant love to the God who has bound himself to us in Jesus and bound himself to us in this bread and this wine. Amen.